0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Lanzman and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they will be a blessing to you and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Last week we began a new series called Where Do We Grow From Here? Uh, I reviewed our pre-Advent series, What's the Point?, and I used it to frame what we're going to be looking at as we move through this time into Lent. Uh, We looked at the story in 1 Samuel last week where God called Samuel, and he called out to Samuel three times in the story until the priest Eli told him it was God speaking. And so I saw the call of God to Samuel as playing out in three ways. The first is the call to relationship, the second is the call to mission, and the third is the call to renewed worship and vision. And these three calls are descriptive, I believe, of how we will begin to discern the shape of who we are becoming as a church while respecting who we were in the past and who we are at present. Today I'm going to expand more on that first call, the call to relationship, as last week was more of an overview kind of of all three. So what we're going to do today is kind of dig down a little bit uh, into the first one, the call to relationship, and hopefully by, by digging, we can uh, we can get a little bit of clarity here. There's a lot of when we all get together, usually for consistory or elders or even privately with each other at each other's homes. There's there's sort of this this questioning about about where are we going? Who are we? How can we how how can we grow? And it's difficult because we're in a generation which increasingly places a premium on not going to church. Uh, There's a, a researcher named McNeil who said the further down you go in the generational chain, the lower the percentage each succeeding generation reports going to church. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, spirituality is still in vogue. There's a lot of ink been spilled on my, my, my eyes, just kind of glazed in my head, all the, the stuff I've been reading about leadership and so forth. But there's a lot of th- stuff going on. church going is kind of, is eh, but there's still this belief in the spiritual. There's still this belief in the supernatural. Faith, religious faith isn't going anywhere. It's kind of changing, and we have to figure out how to meet that need and bring them back into church. And, and a lot of times when we talk about church and growth and where are we going, a lot of times we focus primarily on programs. What can we do to attract people? And uh, there are churches who, who will do demographics and say there's one particular group we're trying to get. So they, they, they make everything about getting this, this one group. I don't think we can do that, though, brothers and sisters, because I think it's exclusionary. And we miss the messiness of different people with different life experiences gathering together in worship. And we see this in the book of of Acts. We see this in the epistles. There's always, when God's people get together, let me tell you something. They're not going to get along all the time. (laughs) So when we interact with one another here or outside of here or people with other churches, we're not always going to get along. And that's okay. And that's okay. Trying to find particular methodologies is seen kind of as, as, as a cure-all. But I don't think programs are a cure-all. I think they're good, but programs aren't the end-all, be-all. So where does that leave us? And so this, this researcher named McNeil, he talks about attractional versus incarnational. Right? So we know what attraction means, using popular cultural methods to try to appeal to a certain cultural demographic versus incarnational. And that's the tougher one, incarnational. So when we talk about that word incarnational, That we're, we're, we're basing this on the incarnation of Jesus. You know, God the Son living as a human being among human beings. He shares our pain. He shares our life. He shares our suffering. He suffers our physical frailty. He, he suffers our weaknesses. He suffers our strengths. So we can understand that God loved us so much. He became us so we could identify with him and he with us. And so when we talk about being incarnational, that means we live as God's transformed people amidst fallen people. So like Christ, our lives are then poured out in service to God and to others. This is what bound the early Christians together in the midst of shared difficulties. So we think about all that, and then we look at the call to relationship. Last week, I defined this primarily as the call of the gospel working in the hearts of sinful human beings that opens their hearts to hear and know Jesus as Savior. When we read this uh, Old Testament passage that that Sandra read earlier, Jonah 3, 1 to 10, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published throughout the city. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So the people of Nineveh, upon hearing the word of the Lord, what do they do? They respond instantly. It says, from the least of them to the greatest. Immediate repentance. Hearing that word from God. And they're so committed to averting this, turning to God. The king even says, okay, bear with me, guys. This is going to sound a little crazy, but all of us together, let's get in sackcloth. Let's let's sit in ashes. Nobody can eat or drink anything. Not only you, but also the beasts, right? Your animals. You can't feed your animals. You can't give them feed. You can't give them water. Not only are we fasting, our animals are going to fast, too. That's a little. Uh, it's a little out there, right? But I mean, we kind of get the seriousness of how they're receiving what God is telling them. That proclamation. So when we hear ourselves, the proclamation of the gospel, and the response of the human soul to it, this sackcloth and ashes for us represents humility. It represents. Primarily, the call to receive the good news and to turn from sin. But it also symbolizes, after we've been converted to Christ, it symbolizes our own humility, our own honest self-assessment of our weaknesses, of who we are, of the sins that we struggle with. And so this is the beginning, though, of the journey, brothers and sisters. Not the end. It's not the end. In Mark one fourteen to 20, and after, Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the side of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus calls the disciples here, well, some of the disciples here, right? So he comes up to Peter and Andrew while they're fishing, and he says, hey, Peter, this is the Michael Lansman version of the Bible, hey, Peter, hey, Andrew, follow me, be my disciple, while they're in the middle of work. And Peter and Andrew kind of look at each other and say, okay, and it says they leave their nets, so like, like, a, like a kid riding their bike outside, and they're just like, I'm done for the day, just leave it in the driveway. And then when you drive home, you've got to get out of your car, take the bicycle, move it out the driveway so you can like, put your car in. They just leave their stuff and go. They just leave it and go. They're laying down their livelihood. They're laying down what they've been trained to do by their parents. Why? So they can follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. This is, this is a model for us. This is a model for us. But then also look at James and John. It says they were in the boat with their dad and the servants. So they're in the boat fixing the nets that they use to fish so they can take the fish, so they can sell it, so they can live and so they can survive. They're learning how to do this, right? It says they're mending the nets in the boat with their dad. Jesus says, hey, James. Michael Lansman translation again. Hey, John, how you doing? Good to see you. And James and John are like, "Uh, hey, strange guy. And Jesus says follow me. And so they go, okay. And they leave. <laughs> they stop mending the nets and they leave. Like, so think about that. Say you're sitting down somewhere with like two friends and then I come up and I say to the two friends, hey, Bill, hey, Steve, follow me. And then while you're in the middle of conversation, there's like, okay. And I walk away and they come with me, just leave you kind of sitting there stunned. Like if you're Zebedee, their dad, you'd be like, what is going on here? My sons are crazy. I must not have raised them right. But they left it, they got up, and they followed Jesus. This is a model for us. This models the obedience of Jesus to the Father. It also models our obedience to the call of Jesus to become catchers of people or fishers of men. That models, that's our following Jesus, that's our primary responsibility, and our most important responsibility is to follow him. So why did Jesus call them? So like I said to the kids, how do you grow in a relationship with someone? With a wife or a husband or a kid or a friend? You spend time in communication. And when we spend time with one another, do we spend time with each other at the same time all the time? Like when I hang out with someone, do I go with a movie, see a movie with them every time we hang out? No. Sometimes we go to a movie. Sometimes we go get something to eat. Sometimes we go to uh, a sporting event. Sometimes we go to the bookstore. Sometimes we just go and grab a cup of coffee. Things change like that. In Mark 3.14, it says, And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they may be with him, and he might send them out. So Jesus calls his disciples here in Mark and in the other Gospels to be with him. This means living a life centered on him, revolving around him. The call to relationship concerns our ongoing relationship with God, not just our initial entrance into his kingdom. So the call to relationship means that we are to cultivate the habits of spiritual formation, how we get to know each other, how we get to know God. And traditionally, these habits of spiritual formation are prayer, fasting, and giving. Now these are traditionally often associated just with Lent, but they shouldn't be limited just to Lent. These are practices that are ongoing and should be continually practiced because this is how we follow. This is how we build relationship. This is how God builds relationship with us. So let's talk a little bit about prayer. So prayer We have corporate prayer and we have private prayer. Corporate prayer happens here when we gather together at church. Corporate prayer happens when we meet in in small groups and praying together. Praying together inside the service and outside of service, it unites us. And I think, brothers and sisters, that during this year we should begin to call for some days of prayer. There's also private prayer. Private prayer at home private prayer with maybe a few individuals, with your family. We need both. We can't just have one. We need both. We can never get to the place where my relationship with God is sustained just by me and Jesus spending quality time alone at home. We need both. We need the worship together as the body of Christ and private prayer at home. There's a, a, a bishop named Callisto where He said the goal of prayer is precisely to be with God always, to make our prayer not just an intermittent activity, but a dimension present continually in all that we undertake. Not simply something we do from time to time, but something that we are the whole time. For this is what the world around us needs. Not that we should say prayers occasionally, but that we should at each moment be a living flame of prayer. And in a relationship with God, just like in a relationship with one another, if I were to... (laughs) When I spend time with my wife, the way sometimes I spend time with God, she would get angry at me really fast. So if I walked in the door from being at the office, and I walked in, and I said, hey, Shante, how are you? It's good to see you. I love you. Thanks for making me lunch and putting it in my lunch bag. I really appreciate that. Thanks. It really meant a lot to me. And then I go upstairs, and I don't talk to her the rest of the night. <laughs> we would be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> we would be in a lot of trouble because there's no cultivation. Or if I came in and she said, hey, do you want to t- I need to talk to you about something. And I said, I can't talk to you right now. I have to go upstairs. And I have to read this blog post. Or, or I have to go read a book. Or I, I need to go watch this. The, the, the latest episode of The Crown is on. So I'd love to talk to you right now. But I really want to watch season two of The Crown. And I want to see how Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip work out. So... I'll talk to you later. If we talked to God the way we talked to each other, to our parents, to our, we talk to our, our spouses and friends the way we talk to God, we'd be in a lot of trouble sometimes. It's not enough just to throw a quickie prayer up to God and say, hey God, how you doing? Good to see you. And expect our spiritual lives to be robust. Expect our spiritual lives to, be, to, be, to have depth. Prayer as an ongoing habit. Prayer shapes us. Prayer forms us. Prayer is important. Some of the work we've been doing, I've, I've been trying to do with, with, with our confirmants is I gave them a set of prayers for the morning and a set of prayers for the night. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you if you use them, but the reason why I did that was not because I don't think that they don't pray, but to help give them a structure to say, when I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to pray, here are some prayers that I can follow. And then you can add your own. As prayer needs to become a habit, the way we turn on our televisions, the way we play video games, the way we want to sit with a good book, as a habit, prayer needs to become something, not just what we do, but like Bishop Ware said, something that we are. The second habit of spiritual formation which aids in the call to relationship with God, is fasting. Now, this is a tough one, especially for me, because I love to eat. I love to eat. I love good food. I love good food, especially with good people, talking and eating and enjoying good food and good company and good conversation. My problem is, sometimes I eat too much. Which is why I don't go to buffets anymore. Because they will ask me to leave. And I will get heavy. <laughs> but fasting used to be something that was an integral part of the spiritual life. I have a friend who's also a minister. He, he At a podcast he was doing, he was talking about fasting as part of the, their, this church's discipline. And he said... He talked about hunger as a friend. And I never quite got that. And it didn't quite sit right with me. He said, hunger is a good friend, a comfortable friend. And I was like, that's not true. Hunger is an enemy. Hunger needs to be taken care of with a good sandwich or a slice of pizza or a burrito from Chipotle or something. But hunger can be our friend. I think fasting should become not just part of my spiritual practice or your spiritual ba- practice but our church's spiritual practices more than just a couple of weeks out of the year jesus said in matthew six sixteen, when you fast he didn't say if you fast he said when do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure themselves that their fasting may be seen by others truly i say to you they have received their reward when you fast not if you fast this can be an important part of our spiritual formation." Why? Because our, cons- our culture is consumeristic. Our-, our culture revolves around indulgence. Indulgence is seen as something that is good and something to pursue. Discipline with what we eat has become lax because we're conditioned to consume. Not just food, but movies and TV and social media and electronics. Consume, 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 consume. And fasting stops us in our tracks. And fasting is tied in with prayer. Prayer and fasting work together. Because what fasting does is it helps to turn our hearts. And this is, is weird that hunger should help us then turn our hearts towards God. Because what does Jesus say when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Man shall not live by what? What? Bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I'm not saying we have to do 40-day fasts where we drink nothing but water. But there are things that we can do. We can start small. And we'll probably talk more about this in Lent where we can say, here's a couple of things we're going to give up. And it should stretch us a little bit. I'll give you an example. So for me, I like chocolate. It's okay. Right? It's good but I don't need to have chocolate. I don't like crave chocolate all the time. So for me to fast chocolate, it's not really a big deal. But I'll tell you what is a big deal for me to fast. Tacos, right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. Burritos. You yeah. know. Ice cream. Ice cream. It's I know. It's tough for me to fast ice cream. It's tough, but, but I do it at times because it stretches me. It reminds me that there's more to the spiritual life and more to the, the life of even just being a human being than being driven by my appetite. Being driven by my appetite. Something we grow into, start small. And we, don't, we can do it and be effective with it. But we don't have to get legalistic about it. You know, we don't have to look at each other, put each other down for what we're doing and not doing. It can still be personal, but I think it's an important part of the spiritual life. We'll talk more about that probably during Lent. The third one, also a tough one, is giving. Giving. Now, this, doesn't, this isn't for anybody who's here today. Right, maybe this is for somebody listening to the podcast. It's not enough to give twice a year or once a year to stay a member, it's not enough to hope that endowments and investments are going to keep the church afloat. Because we're not trying to stay afloat. Right? We're not trying to just survive and there are, there are things that we do need to do to survive, absolutely. But trying to stay afloat, trying to just get to the next year isn't a reason for us to be here. We need to try to thrive. And this is tough for us to hear sometimes, and this is a little tough for me to even say, you know because when I was much younger, you know, I kind of moved and grooved in independent charismatic circles where the prosperity gospel was 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 often out on display, you know, making promises that uh, that aren't that God didn 't say he would keep, you know like give, uh, give a certain amount of money, and God will give you a certain amount of money you know when the prosperity gospel is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. God wants you to be rich. Just follow the steps. I come from that background, and so I steer away from that. So it's a little bit harder for me nowadays to, to talk about giving, which is why when we do the giving here, I just read a scripture because I'm used to sitting in services where they would preach for 30 minutes on the need to give when I was, when I was younger. If you think I preach long, I'll take you to some meetings. <laughs> we'll have fun. We'll have some fun with that. Now, prosperity gospel preaching is wrong. But where they get it right is in the sense on instilling in people the necessity of generosity. Of generosity. Why? Why is giving important? Because just like fasting helps us to say no and not be driven by our appetites, Just like prayer helps us to turn away from distractions that are trying to draw us away from God, giving helps us to say no to consumerism. Giving helps us to be free of greed. I remember way back in the late 80s, there was a a movie with Michael Douglas called Wall Street about the, the Wall Street person, Gordon, Gordon Gecko, in the movie. It's, a, it's an interesting movie. You should check it out. Well, if you're a kid, don't check it out. But use caution. It's got adult material in there. But in the movie, he says, his character says, greed is good. He says, greed is good. Greed is not good. And so much of the American lifestyle, work hard, get stuff, then you'll be happy. Work hard, get this new phone, and then you 'll be happy. Look, I love technology, but every time I get a new iPhone, it doesn 't make me any happier than it was when I first got it i 'm like, yes, I got the new iPhone, and then I take it home, and I play with it for a while i 'm like, oh yeah, this is pretty great, but my life is still the same, because buying a phone isn 't going to make my life qualitatively better. But we talk ourselves into doing, to buying things that we don't need because we think if we can have these things, our lives will be better. And they're not. And they're not. Giving helps us to be free of greed. It helps us to be free from centering our lives on getting stuff. And getting, on getting stuff. And so giving for us is a life of stewardship. Is a life of stewardship. And we need to have something that we're, people are wanting to give towards. And so many preachers talk about tithing and gross and net and all that stuff, and I'm not going to get on any of that, but I will say tithing is a good baseline for everybody to start. Tithing is a good baseline. Don't have to be legalistic about it, but I think, I think it's important. But people need to have something they're willing to give towards. And I would love this, and this might be a little controversial, but I would love one day if the church can get to the place where we tithe out of our budget, 10% of our budget of what we take in, we tithe to somebody else. Because I think God honors that. I think God honors sacrifice. I think God honors us being stretched. I think God honors us when we go beyond ourselves a little bit. Next week, though, we're going to talk about the call to relationship with one another. Today, we've talked about the relationship with God. We've talked about the call to relationship. We've talked about about prayer, fasting, and giving as key parts of spiritual formation that shape us as Christians, that shape us also as a church. And things that we do and, and participate in as we go through this year, Hopefully, we'll have opportunities to practice those three things. So next week, we'll do Call to Relationship Part 2, our relationship with each other, our relationship with each other. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory, honor, and power together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy and good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Lansman thanks so much for listening to the podcast for zionstone united church of christ you know we have deep roots here in the local community and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the united states itself if you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful come visit us we may just be the church for you you can find us online zionstoneucc.com or you can look us up on facebook zionstoneucc.com If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to have you visit our church.